Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 15, Quiet Minds. The air date for this episode was March 30th, 2014. The writer was Kalinda Vasquez. And the director was Eagle Eggleson. Eagle, who was born in Reykjavik, Iceland, and studied filmmaking at Columbia College Hollywood. He directed numerous episodes of the CW action series Nikita, as well as episodes of Fringe, Arrow, Gotham, and Lucifer. The title card features Lumiere. We begin in Storybrooke, where our heroes, Emma, David, Regina, Hook, and Mary Margaret, meet at Granny's Diner before it opens to discuss another search for Mr. Gold since they suspect that he most likely escaped his cage rather than was moved by the witch herself. Hook recalls that when they had been cursed back to the Enchanted Forest, Neil mentioned searching for a way to resurrect his father, as he believed his father could send him back to the land without magic, back to Emma and Henry. Emma counters that something must have gone wrong, as Gold has returned, but Neil's whereabouts are still unknown. Regina gently steers them back on topic and decides to return to the Wicked Witch's farmhouse to look for any trace evidence of magic. Emma wishes her luck and to take caution. Regina says that it is the witch who will have to watch out, as it was she who invaded Regina's territory, and when the queen finds her, Regina will not pull any punches. Damn, Regina is so fucking hot right now. <laughs> also, apparently we're continuing the gay of the last episode because Emma is just like really soft and affectionate with Regina in this opening scene. And I really love it. I just love them so much. I know, right? I'm just like, I feel like this rewatch has made swan queeners out of us. I know, right? <laughs> I'm just like, wow. None of us went into this with that being a ship any of us had. And I feel I like this rewatch like is turning us all into that. I know. I'm just like, I mean, like, and that for our listeners, that's not to say like, you know, we disliked the ship. We didn't. No, it was just, it just not that something wasn't that we, ours. yeah, it just wasn't like our main ship. And now we're just mm -hmm. like, ahoy, mateys. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I do like the Emma ships, like the canon ones, but there's something really special about Swan Queen, man. Yeah, they're really, I think, really I like think we kind of, I think we kind of went into it with just kind of like Emma has chemistry with everyone. Sure. Yeah. And does. that was kind of like the end of it. Yeah. Like there's not really invalid Emma ships because Emma has chemistry with everybody. And Which is kind of hard like, for her mm. because she's not, it's not like she's like Belle or Ruby or, um, yeah. you know, like yep. one of yeah. these. She's not a flirtatious princess. Yeah. I don't think Emma yeah. wants to have chemistry with so many no. people. No. But she <laughs> no. does. But she does. <laughs> she didn't ask to be beating him off with a stick and yet no. here she is. And yet here she is. Catnip. Catnip for the whole town. <laughs> beating him off with a stick. <laughs> Meanwhile, out in the forest, Zelina uses the Dark One dagger to summon gold. To no avail. Ha ha! Nelson Muntz laugh. <laughs> Frustrated, Zelina summons her flying monkey to find Mr. Gold, who happens to be running desperately through another part of the forest. Oh, we're barely into this episode, and I already hate it. <laughs> the Storybrooke Forest, though, is looking beautiful right now. 
it's like extra green and vibrant and the moss is just everywhere. And that is a visual treat. It really is. Yeah. Whenever they filmed this, it was absolutely gorgeous glorious canadian environment they're in right now mm-hmm. it's so whatever pretty. whenever they actually use practical sets it's always very pretty the problem is a lot of times it's not a practical set it's a bullshit cgi set yeah, yeah. but when they actually are like oh it's a real location it's always pretty yeah yeah, I think the snowy scenes that we see later in the episode are the same location that they filmed the episode where snow and red meet. A oh, red-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 115. I, I love that you know that. I know that. I know. <laughs> I've got every... I've... It's because of the timeline. It's because yeah. of the timeline. <laughs> later at the pawn shop, the group, minus Regina, meets up with Belle. Hook reluctantly offers to stay with Belle to protect her, even though she hasn't forgiven him for his actions during their prior encounters or accepted his fairly insincere apology. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I love Hook, but I wouldn't have just been chill with him either. I think Belle is within her rights to be over it. Plus, Mm. he acts pretty shitty when she points out what he's done to her. So, you know... Love that we're continuing the shitbag hook trend. I know, I'm like, can't Belle just stay with Snow? Like, I, I love you, Hook. I do. But you you literally shot Belle last year. She'd also probably be safer with Snow when you think about it. Snow's way more of a badass than Hook is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for real, let Belle and Snow have some on-screen chemistry for a change. No, we mm-hmm. don't have a lot with them. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam Man is always like you know and they're cock blocking them yeah they're like the two main like princesses of the show Mm -hmm. yeah david and emma decide that because of her pregnancy mary margaret ought to stay home while emma and david leave to handle the search i love that she's like but i'm the best tracker and it's like my darling wife (laughs) you are the size of a house (laughs) She's still like, probably the most competent person in the room, though. Oh, oh 100%. Like, her and Bell, honestly, could open up their own little investigation, mm-hmm. like, PI agency, and they would they crack. Probably should. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, to be Shit honest. Shit would get yeah. done so much faster. I know, but she should be on rest leave, and it's like, I know that a lot of like, these guys just don't have two brain cells to rub together, but you need to put your feet up, Mary Margaret. <laughs> We return to the enchanted forest of a year prior where Bill and Neil talk about Rumpelstiltskin as they search for clues in the dark castle. Neil and Belle have coordinating stepmommy and me adventuring outfits. And I am here for it. <laughs> Neil muses that despite his father's darkness, Belle loves Rumpelstiltskin. Rumble for life. And Neil confesses he too has been able to look beyond the darkness within his father and see the good man trying to emerge. Neil remarks he needs the dark magic of his father now more than ever to get back to Henry and Emma. Neil holds up the swan necklace Emma wore, sharing with Belle that it was supposed to represent their life together. He marvels that it survived the curse at all. Belle surmises the token survived because it was born out of true love. Uh, truthfully, it was likely born out of a sweatshop in China, but you know, y- we get the sentiment. Honestly, I thought something very similar at this point. As I was right, I was like, I bet Lynn thought the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I kind of just under my breath was like, or China. <laughs> Belle leads her stepson to the library to check for any knowledge contained in the books that may assist them on their quest. 
Immediately after Belle lights the candelabra, a cheery voice calls out to them, and a face of flame in the candelabra is revealed to be Lumiere. Oh, wow. I sure hate the effect of Lumiere. It is off-putting and weird and go right to hell. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Lumiere. It's gross. 100%. (laughs) It's gross and he's gross. And then like as soon as it happened, I was like, okay, I kind of remember this. I did not, and I was so unpleasantly surprised (laughs) because I had blocked him out entirely. Oh, no, I I remembered. I had blocked him out, so I just was like, oh, gross, what the fuck? I blocked (laughs) out other parts of this this episode. I did not remember a goddamn thing about this episode, putting that out there. I had blanked the whole goddamn thing out. That was your brain protecting yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely self-preservation kicking Mm. in. Back in present-day Storybrooke, Belle is going through Mr. Gold's books when they hear someone noisily breaking into the pawn shop. She and Hook rush out to the main area and are shocked to see Neil, who stumbles into the shop and instantly collapses. Meanwhile, Emma stops by the inn to check on Henry and invite him to go fishing with Leroy. I want to go fishing with Leroy? I bet we'd drink hooch and eat snacks all the live long day. Bathtub gin for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to go fishing with Leroy, but I, I would like to just hang out in the boat with Leroy and be like, yeah. listen to his stories. Yeah. Fishing is code for just like bonding time, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I don't people. fish, but I'd love to chill. Yeah. Henry is growing suspicious that Emma isn't telling the truth about their sudden visit to Maine, the strange people his mother never previously mentioned, and the hushed whispers around him. Surprise, kid. You have two moms. Henry is like, I am a master detective, mom. I will figure this out. <laughs> Emma attempts to be vague about the covert life of a bail bondswoman, but Henry does not let up and insists he wants to go back to New York if she will not be honest. Before Emma can reply, she receives a distressing phone call. Relenting, Emma admits to Henry that there is something more than meets the eye with this case, and she will tell him the truth in time. He must trust her until then. Henry agrees, and Emma dashes off to the hospital where Neil is receiving fluids, but is alive and alert. He tells Hook, Belle, David, and Emma that the last memory he has is of Emma's car departing before finding himself running through the Storybrooke forest. Additionally, there is a branded scar on the palm of Neil's hand, a scar of which he has no memory. Uh Uh-oh, Neil joined a cult. You're in a cult. Call your dad. (laughs) Emma then takes a picture of his hand on her phone and sends it to Belle for research. Neil asks for some privacy with Emma to inquire about seeing Henry. Emma breaks Neil's heart, sharing that not only are Henry's memories still under the influence of the second curse, but he is quite happy with his life in Manhattan. Neil believes Emma does not want to restore Henry's memories, which she admits to be contemplating. However, Neil is adamant about his desire to reunite with his son. This is such an easy fix, and it's aggravating to even bear witness to this exchange. Like, all Emma has to do is reintroduce Henry to Neil and clear his name. Like, oh, he actually took the fall, and oops, it was a big old misunderstanding. But mm. let's be real, though. OG Henry, real Henry, would want his memories. Emma isn't just denying Henry his father. She's denying him his grandparents and his other mom. You know, the one who actually changed his diapers and kept him from sticking a fork into the light socket. Yeah. like. That's not cool. Yeah. No. Like, I know she thinks she's doing the right thing, but... But... Like, I get it. Your kid's happy. Blah, 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 blah. But, like, 
the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be is what it boils down to, honestly. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Because when he finally does figure it out, he's going to be like, why the hell didn't you tell me earlier? Mm-hmm. Look at all the things I missed out on because you thought you were protecting me. Plus, uh, you know someone's going to fuck it up anyway and just slip him a, a memory potion. Most likely oh, absolutely. Regina. And then he'll get his memories back and he'll be angry that Emma didn't try to get his memories back for him sooner. Yeah, and then I he's going to pack a little bag and he's going, oh, screw <laughs> you, I'm going to go live with my other mom who I ran away from to go live with you. But, you know, I'm going I already to lost on me, I'm 11. Yeah. <laughs> I do not remember how this is solved, which is which is fine. Um, it's nice to have a surprise of yeah, something I've already watched, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. We return to the dark castle of the past where Lumiere tells Belle and Neil that Rumpelstiltskin entrapped him in this form as punishment when the faux Frenchman could not pay his end of the bargain that they had struck. Neil explains that they are trying to resurrect Rumpelstiltskin, but Lumiere is reluctant to help. Belle promises him that the Dark One will restore Lumiere to his human form in gratitude for assisting her and Neil. Lumiere directs them to a particular book where a peculiar key is hidden inside. A key with the same symbol which is branded into the palm of present-day Neil's hand. Lumiere claims the key will open the vault where the first Dark One was created. With Lumiere promising to be their guide, Neil and Belle decide to use the key in the morning. They extinguish Lumiere's candles and exit the library. As soon as they leave, the candles are aflame again as Zelina enters the library, pleased that Belle and Neil just fell for her trap, as she is really the one using Lumiere. Even before Lumiere is revealed to be in cahoots or whatever with Zelina, he is acting like a piece of shit. And to be honest, Belle should have just melted him. He's weird and he sucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not... He's he's gross and I hate him. Like she was <laughs> sus about him, and she should have followed through with her. Instinct. Yeah, she should have yeah. just been like, "Welp, into the fireplace you go." I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> nope, She's nope, like, no uh... weird candle man. Out you go. Yeah, and but like you know, poor Neil. He's just like so desperate. We return to Storybrooke, where Zelina has stopped by the loft to play midwife to Mary Margaret, who had called her in a panic because she has yet been able to feel her unborn baby move. Her outfit during the scene just like screams Wicked Witch. It's like she's begging for Mary Margaret to figure it out. Zelina's like, damn, I heard you were the clever one. I mean, I kind of had the same thought. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Damn it, Mary Margaret. (laughs) Well, maybe it's the fact that she doesn't have a proper witch hat and instead looks like she's in a bad play where she's Abraham Lincoln. I thought it was supposed to be like, is the Crucible the one about Salem witch trials? Yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah, she's got a little like, pilgrim hat on which i fucking hate it's like it's a hallmark in pretty much every oz adaptation that could, the wicked witch has a really good witch hat mm-hmm. and instead we get fucking four score and whatever the fuck ago <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even give me a witch hat come on no no it's it's definitely giving me like being cutesy at the thanksgiving play but it's like the thanksgiving play that all the white children do where it's like (laughs) it's like the one from adam's family values where it's like turkey day oh absolutely (laughs) you know sit down gertrude this plays for the nine-year-olds yeah exactly (laughs) yeah she's she's the one like mimicking like all like the little dances and stuff Mm -hmm. to keep the kids on cue and shit really hyperactive stage mom yes yes (laughs) (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. she takes the whole plymouth rock thing very seriously (laughs) 
like definitely giving us like toddlers and tiaras but pilgrim edition over here (laughs) (laughs) Zelina reassures mary margaret that this is not uncommon and it it isn't (laughs) it is not uncommon Zelina cleverly uses small talk to learn that the heroes are not any closer to discovering the true identity of the Wicked Witch. Pleased, she has Mary Margaret drink a glass of orange juice, which, fun fact, can be an effective way to get an unborn baby to move because of its high content of sugar, which encourages fetal movement. So there you go. Fun fact for the day. Zelina promises Mary Margaret that she will not allow her to have the baby without her. She then so aggressively paws at Mary Margaret's tummy, and I just hate it. I just hate it. I couldn't get over the hammy, scene-chewing facial expressions that Bex Matter, the actress, does. I'm just like, for fuck's sake. She's doing that while she's just (laughs) pawing at this woman, though. Trying to just be a little covert, for fuck's sake. She's had a 15 at any given moment. (laughs) I really enjoy that. She's playing it like Zelina is a bad actress. Yes. I really enjoy that because she is like, like, like Rebecca is a very good actress. And so. Yes. And it it has actually taken me. Like Zelina is a bad actress. Yes. It has taken me this long to truly appreciate what she is doing with this character. Because I, you know, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it later. I'll talk about it later. But yes. She she is. Absolutely. I used to think she was a terrible actress, right? Because, like, I hated her character in Lost. Mm-hmm. Hated Charlotte. But there's not many characters to like in Lost, to be fair. And I like the guy who hits the guy with the car. Desmond. Yes. Like Desmond. Yes. No, you like Desmond. Yes. <laughs> we have established that you are a Desmond fan. <laughs> and I'm, I am a Charlie fan. And, and of course, Benjamin Linus. The best dirtbag villain ever. It was the most unsurprising thing to me in the world that you were a Benjamin Linus fan. Which, I mean, he's oh, yeah. an amazing character. He's an amazing character. One of the best characters on the show. Oh, yeah. But I'm sure so... you were like, ooh, col- color me so surprised. <laughs> but he's such a you character to love. I know. Like, it just makes sense. Anyway, long story short, Bex Miner is a very good actress. And... She really hams up Zelina, who I genuinely hate. But I oh yeah, no, Zelina is basically a hair's breadth away from like twirling her snidely whiplash <laughs> mustache in this scene. That's yeah. like the level of like hammed up vaudevillian thing she's talking to the train It's very yeah, fun ex- to watch. It's very fun to watch. I, so... I just expect the dramatic piano to be like <laughs> just the dun 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 dun, dun, dun to be like playing in the background. The mic, so I don't like just deafen our <laughs> listeners with my cackling. This is this is some Dudley Do Right nonsense <laughs> happening right now. <laughs> Meanwhile, as Regina scopes out the property around the farmhouse, she hears rustling in the nearby shrubs and catches an arrow launched by a startled Robin Hood. He apologizes, and they reintroduce themselves before launching into a deja vu sprinkled banter. With a little coaxing from Robin, the pair ultimately decide to combine their efforts in tracking down the Wicked Witch. You know, he may not be Tom Ellis, but Sean plays a professional flirt all the same. Meh. I thought he was very charming in this scene. I enjoyed his little, like, confidence swagger in his step as he walked towards the house. Meh. (laughs) Hater's gonna hate. Not impressed until Tom Ellis comes back. Sorry, not sorry. I have news for you, friend. I got news. Yeah, so I'm never going to be impressed. I'm sorry, Sean McGuire. Me and Shell love you. It's it's fine. I'm not. I love you, Tom Ellis. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm apologizing for my wife, Sean McGuire. Tom Ellis for life. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm making a shirt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. okay. It'll, be, it'll be some of our merch for this podcast. Oh my God. No. <laughs> Hashtag Tom Ellis for life. <laughs> that would make Sean so sad. He seems like such a nice man. He's such a nice man. Why would you do that to him? Because it made Tom Ellis so happy. <laughs> I'm continuing with the episode. <laughs> Back at the hospital, Hook, who is on guard duty, brings Neil some jello, believing it may contain medicinal properties. Firstly, a great callback to season two, even if it was in a deleted scene. Secondly, it is green jello. The correct color of Jello, and yes, I speak from personal experience, it does have healing properties. Hashtag narrator chill is not a doctor. Do not take any medical advice from her. Speak to your medical professional about the medicinal properties of Jello before consuming it. I can't eat Jello. No, vegetarians, you cannot consume Jello. Sorry. No. Neil thanks Hook for getting the SOS to Emma and helping her recover her memories before asking him what it feels like to go from being a villainous pirate to the hero. Unfamiliar, Hook replies before turning the tables on Neil by asking him what it feels like to play a villain, for Neil must have had to summon some very dark magic in order to bring back Rumpelstiltskin and pay a very steep price. This prompts Neil to tear the IV from his hand and get up to make things right with his father and Henry. As someone who has spent an unholy amount of time in hospitals, that is not okay. And it is totally one of my pet peeves to watch people do that in film and TV. Like, it's just not easily done. It's painful. Like, there's a, there's a legit fucking tube in you, like, in your hand. Yeah. Like, it is, don't, don't do that. Don't be, like, ripping out your IVs. And writers of TV shows that, like, take place in hospitals and, and whatnot and medical areas, don't. Don't fucking write that. It's so lazy. It just shows like how ignorant you are. Yeah. Like I've I've only had an IV a couple of times and I didn't even want to touch it. No. And trust me, they fucking tape that fucker in. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like I I was scared to even <clears throat> bonk it. I was like, that's gonna hurt. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I feel like Storybrooke is not exactly uh on the up and up when it comes to like filling out proper paperwork and shit. <laughs> No. Well, no, it's run by fucking Dr. Whale. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. will forg- I will forgive them for that part, like for him just like up and walking out. But like the IV tearing out part, I was just like, oh, like, you know, know, Dr. Whale walked by, saw Neil wasn't in his bed and went, oh, well, and kept going with his day. Yeah, to quote mm-hmm. Regina about Archie, not Dr. Whale, but Archie, you got your PhD from a curse. Yeah, yeah. Hook stands in Neil's path before pulling him into a fierce hug, absolutely baffling the other man until Hook explains that this gesture was long overdue. They bury old hurts before Hook decides to give Neil a head start before alerting the others about Neil's escape. I did really love this little hug here and this mm-hmm. little moment between the two of them. Like, you can tell that, like, Killian really does care about Neil, like, so much. And you're just like, oh, I'm sad. All these little moments they're throwing us and we're just like, oh, this is sad because I know why you're doing it. I didn't at this point. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> going on my merry way into the next circle of hell. Okay, <clears throat> down I go. Back in the past, Belle and Neil walk through the snowy woods, discussing Rumpelstiltskin's sacrifice 
and its relatability now that Neil has a son to get back to. They soon come upon the crypt's location. We quickly flash to the present, where David and Emma have a father-daughter talk as they search the forest for any signs of gold. When David brings up Neil, Emma tells him that it's complicated, but that Neil is hoping by securing Mr. Gold's safety, he can create a memory potion for Henry. David thinks that this is a relief, but Emma is having second thoughts. Before she can further explain, they hear Mr. Gold yowling in agony and follow his voice to find him crouched on the forest floor in pain. Okay, but for real, at first I thought the noise was a sick goose. (laughs) And I didn't know why they didn't edit better. (laughs) Emma tries to glean information from Gold, but he keeps saying the only thing he hears are the many voices in his head. The trio are ambushed by a flying monkey. And Emma's gun is cocked and ready. Bless her. Shoot the monkey, Emma. Shoot it. (laughs) As the monkey descends, David whips out his sword and injures the beast to slow him down while Emma runs after Gold, who has taken off like he's trying out for cross-country. Meanwhile, as they investigate the farm, Regina and Robin get better acquainted (laughs) with a criminal amount of flirting. Robin uncovers a bottle of whiskey, playing dumb about its magical properties, and pulls two glasses from the shelf. Sir, keep it in your pants. Also, you're just leaving evidence of your B&E everywhere now. I know, I always love to stop and have a drink when I'm breaking and entering into a witch's house. I mean... (laughs) Quote Robin Hood, probably. (laughs) I mean, you may as well. (laughs) Just sitting there. However, as Robin holds out the glass of whiskey to her, Regina recognizes something on his wrist, the lion tattoo. She realizes that he was the soulmate Tinkerbell had taken her to meet back in the Enchanted Forest. Regina runs out of the house, leaving behind a very confused Robin. Back in the forest, Emma comes across Neil and the pair resumes the search for his father. We return to the past where Lumiere appears and guides Neil and Belle to the center of the clearing. Brushing away the snow, Neil finds a circular metal plate with symbols on it. Before he places the key in the center of the crypt door, which looks awfully like a sewer lid, I just have to say. (laughs) It does. Neil asks the cursed candelabra, Are you sure? Lumiere begins to rant, claiming that he spent over 200 years in the library, which sends red alert signals off in Bell, as Rumpelstiltskin built the library specifically for her only 30 years prior. With the jig being up, Lumiere confesses that he works for the Wicked Witch, who cast the enchantment on him, in a ploy to find Rumpelstiltskin's dagger, knowing that there would be a price to pay for resurrecting him. Even if he was a pawn, Neil stubbornly refuses to give up despite Belle's misgivings. We should probably all stop and listen to Belle here, just saying. Uh. Believing his father to be able to deal with the Wicked Witch and desperate to reunite with Henry, Neil moves to open the crypt, even as Belle begs him not to make the same mistake his father did when he cast the curse condemning countless people to death and misery in the process. Neil forges onward, using his bare-ass hands for some reason to use the very obvious Bill Cipher-level Eldritch Horror key to unlock the tomb. This scene, I went through it because my initial gut feeling was like, Neil wouldn't have done this. And then I thought about it more. And ultimately, he's doing it because he's like desperate to get back to Henry since he wants to do right by him. And, you know, Make sure he's not left abandoned and it's this whole father and son cycle. But 
besides that point, it's just his his willingness to dive into dark magic just doesn't feel very Neil. Yes, I have big thoughts and feelings about this as well, but I'm reserving them for the end. (laughs) The symbol sears itself into Neil's palm as black inky CGI bubbles up slowly and forms Rumpelstiltskin. The CG is so gross. Why is all the CG in this episode so gross? Hmm. It's gross. There's some gross CG. It's all gross. Everything in this episode that's CG looks goopy. Yeah. It's a yeah, very it all goop- looks like fucking lawnmower man. It's all goopy. Like <laughs> very goopy. Barf. Stop being goopy. <laughs> I'm Chell. And I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to the Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of the Vampire Chronicles. I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Storybrook, Emma is sharing about the easy, drama-free life she and Henry share in New York, free of curses and fairy tale nonsense. When Neil mentions loneliness, Emma reveals that Henry has tons of friends and she had someone. Emma apologizes, but Neil brushes it away, saying they had not been able to fully reconcile or that Emma remembered him being anything other than a dirtbag. Besides, Walsh turned into a flying monkey. Neil laughs, but refuses to cast stones as he nearly married a minion of his evil grandfather, Peter Pan. This moment is a bright, shining light in this episode. And I love this easy and warm exchange between these two. I think this is my favorite scene because, you know, she's like, oh, sorry. And he's like, don't be sorry. Like, why would you be sorry? You know, it's really healthy. It's really healthy. Like Neil is probably the healthiest character on this show (laughs) yeah which is hurts (laughs) anyway Uh i'm gonna continue on after they share a good laugh neil says he is sorry it didn't work out for emma because he cares about her and her happiness even if it isn't with him god damn it (laughs) angry tears of rage or just pouring down my cheeks right now and i love you neil you're such a good man neil and emma are so cute and it's stupid how this show squanders that 
Yeah. Anyway, their moment of peace is interrupted, of course, by a phone call from Belle, whose research revealed that the scar on Neil's hand resulted from attempting to bring Rumpelstiltskin back from the dead by opening the Crypt of the Dark One. However, the resurrection was supposed to cost a life. If Neil used that key, he ought to be dead. Right at that moment, Neil begins shape-shifting into his father and back again in a very nightmare-inducing lawnmower man-esque CGI. Oh boy, I fucking hate this. It is so unsettling and so upsetting. It's so gross. (laughs) I hate it. I'm very glad that Emma and Neil didn't start to, like, make out at any point. (laughs) Oh god, that would have been so fucking awkward. Uh... Anyway. We quickly cut to the Enchanted Forest, where Rumpelstiltskin is coming back to life and Balefire in turn begins to die. Rumpelstiltskin rushes to his son, but they are interrupted by Zelina, who gloats about her victory. Rumpelstiltskin tries to save Balefire by absorbing him into his own body, but cannot so long as he holds the dagger. Rumpelstiltskin releases the dagger and absorbs Neil, but becomes insane as a result. Ew. What? I don't even know. Ew. It's stupid I and I hate it. And gross. I, why? <laughs> Bart no like. <laughs> Kalina, why? Zelina snatches up the dagger and orders Rumpelstiltskin to kill Belle. But Lumiere, deciding to do the right thing, finally, uses his flames to hold Zelina back long enough for Belle to take him up and escape. There was so much happening on the screen at this moment, and I was so sad about Neil, but also there was so much baffling imagery here and... It was weird, and I just, it was so hard to, like, be in the moment of this yeah. really serious thing that just happened. It was wild. That's that's one adjective for it. Back in Storybrooke, as Emma watches Neil change into gold and back again, he begs Emma to use her magic to separate them. Reluctantly, Emma uses her magic to separate father and son, much to gold's devastation. He quickly reveals that Zelina is the witch, but cannot save his son in time. This episode is just awful. Remind me why we watch this show. I don't know. Because Snow and Charming love each other very much. Also, Emma and her strong hero arms. And Regina, the bisexual disaster queen of our hearts. And just in general, this cast is very attractive. And the score slaps. Mm. None of that enough right now. Not at this moment. Nah, that's fair. I don't blame you. That's all right. I, I feel like I owe you two handwritten apology notes dragging you down with me it wouldn't hurt (laughs) emma holds neil as he returns her swan necklace telling her to go and find tallahassee with henry who should know that his father was a good guy in the end mr gold goes to his knees taking his son's hands as he is determined to fix this travesty neil thanks his papa for showing him what it is to make a true sacrifice for the ones he loves in the most unnecessary of character deaths ever, Neil tragically leaves us, telling his papa he loves him. <sighs> Angry scream until I can get to the end. Just gotta ugh, hold it in until then. I don't want to watch this show anymore. Can we become a Cheers podcast instead? <laughs> Do Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I, I mean, think I don't think I too. have it in me to watch all of Cheers again. I'm sorry. That's Cheers. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so sad. And this is a stupid reason for Neil to die. And I, I'm not happy. 
But I will give props where props is due because Mark Ishram knocked it out of the park with Neil's death music. Yeah. It was beautiful and tragic, but I'm so sad. Yeah. We cut to Emma and David busting open the door of the loft, guns raised to apprehend Zelina, but find that she has escaped through a window in the powder room. Okay. (laughs) They tell Mary Margaret about Zelina's true identity and that Neil is dead. Mary Margaret and Emma share a hug as Emma grieves her loss. Back in the forest, Gold sits next to Neil's body and a gloating Zelina appears with his dagger, using it to control him successfully now that he has control over his mental facilities. Gold tells Zelina that now everyone knows her identity and will soon be after her. She tells him it no longer matters and orders him to go back to his cage where he continues to mourn his son. As the music swells, we see Regina watching Robin and his merry men play with Roland from a distance and David and Mary Margaret bear the heavy burden of updating Belle and Hook. Man, Killian's sad eyes make me so sad. It was this tragic little shot. And I was just like, oh no, that was your boy too. Okay, I've been really mad at you, Hook, for the last couple episodes. But in this moment, I'm just like, oh no, David, give him a hug, please. He's so sad. Emma finds Henry at the park and they sit on a bench where she admits to him that he was right about her not being honest with him about the case. She tells him that Neil was the client that hired her, but she was too late and he is now gone. Emma tells Henry that Neil was a great man and would have been a good father, and he was a hero. Henry, who says he wishes he could have known him, asks her what happened to the person who murdered his father. Emma says that they got away, but she vows to Henry and to herself that she will find them. No, I cannot handle sad Emma. This is, this is too sad. I want, I want out of here. Well, you're lucky because end credits flames flames on the side of my face don't get me wrong it's not as sloppy of a death as some others we've seen or likely will see in this show but it sure as shit was convoluted and rushed like ultimately i could have accepted neil dying had it come over time with a more thoughtfully built up plot like much in the way rumple's heroic sacrifice had by like you know two and a half seasons in that was built over time this should have been built over time. I think Rumble came back way the hell too fast. And this whole arc should have been like years down the road to give viewers a proper breather and actually build a bridge to this ultimate ending. Like, I don't care what lip service the showrunners and poor Michael Raymond James have given us, which I've completely read in full. This was so poorly executed too soon bruv like and don't get me wrong everyone acted the shit out of this episode so i'm not blaming like actors or anything like this this all like falls on the heads of the kitsowitz who just could not be creative enough to like come up with a better path for neil which just fucking stupid (sighs) i'm done I hate this very bad episode. Um, (laughs) I could just stop there, actually. (laughs) Neil deserved better, and I shouldn't have been subjected to how bad the CGI was. Everything was gross and sloppy. The plot, the look, the everything. It's dumb, and I hate it. And everything was really goopy, and there was no reason for it to be so goopy. 
<laughs> I really wish they didn't kill off Neil. If if they didn't want to go down the route of Emma and Neil, which we know and we knew then by that point the showrunners didn't want to. Which cowards. <laughs> mm. I wish we could have kept Neil and and see him and Emma grow as friends and and co-parents. Mm. There could have been so many interesting stories here to tell. But that's not what happened. If they did decide to ultimately go down this route of ultimately ending in his death to resurrect his father, it could have worked much better if it had been a multiple episode mystery maybe with Neil and Mr. Gold switching places off screen throughout the arc and us as an audience trying to figure out what's up, why are they never in the same scene together, that would have been better. I genuinely really like the character Neil. I know people are very mixed on Neil. All his three narrators loved Neil and we love Michael Raymond James. Is that his Mm -hmm. name? And we all love Michael Raymond James. So we're just really sad to see him go. And I think Neil was a character who had a lot of potential for so many stories to be told and the writers didn't do it this is just the end and what most people have figured out over the years that that really happened to get him out of the way um to just like clear up that that hook neil emma love triangle and it's it's really disappointing i i do think this episode had some amazing performances and some great scenes I don't think Lumiere added anything to this episode, but I, I, <laughs> I do think Zelina is a is, is a properly threatening villain. She has officially taken a hero off the board, and I'm really sad. And I am really gonna miss Neil. I know other fans of Neil have definitely used the argument. They're like, like the whole point of the show, like the the driving plot of the premise was. So Rumpelstiltskin could reunite with his son. And then they just kill that son off. Yeah. And I'm also like, like exactly. what was the point of Rumpelstiltskin's grand sacrifice then? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it completely invalidated that entire thing. Precisely. And I'm just like, and they're like, they kept, when this aired and like they received backlash from it, they kept saying like, oh, but, you know, we wanted neil to really understand like where his dad came from and realize that you know he too was like willing to sacrifice anything to get back to his son and i'm just like yeah okay okay i get that right but then one you're kind of perpetuating cycles of bad decision making (laughs) Mm -hmm. for one and cycles of trauma and now it's on poor henry to like break that good job when neil was actually doing a pretty damn good job already of like ensuring that he wasn't going to go down the same path as his dad and then neil didn't get to even spend much time with henry and i think therein lies the problem it's like you want your whole audience to feel like this loss right but you have a good population of them who never really gave Neil a chance or didn't like see him like I don't know you know they they found fault with him and some people are just going to find fault with you know people that they see as a threat to their ship and you can't you can't like win with those kinds of people right but then there were other people who were like 
don't know, man, we just kind of didn't really know him, you know? And, and like, I think that's a fair fucking argument, you know, like, I feel like he should have had a lot more time in the show. And if this was going to ultimately be, you know, his end it sh- like I said, it should have just happened like at least another season. And then like we get to, yeah, establish him and Emma co-parenting and with Regina too. So like, you know, Henry's got like this rotating, you know, list of parents to like live and learn from, you know? Yeah. And it would have been this great story because we start out the show with Henry being such a lonely boy. Mm-hmm. And then like his family builds and builds and builds and like, you know, having that like really strong parental support system of like three parents essentially like, oh, wow, how lucky for Henry. There could have been great stories that could have been told with Neil. Yeah. And it was such a buildup to Neil. It was a great buildup to yeah. Neil. Because like, remember when we very first time, we're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, ooh, mystery guy in Manhattan, not even Boston. Holy crap. Like, and you know, you just didn't know who he was until Tallahassee. And you're like, oh my God, you know? And the revelation that he's Balefires is really big. So it's it's a bit like he was a very big fucking deal. And then to just sort of like toss him away, like, you know, yesterday's news is just, it's wasteful and insulting yeah. to the character. I don't know. I just, I got big feels about it. And I will absolutely 100%. Like if I had like one get out of death free card for a character, like of any show, Neil is, is really high on the list. I have to say, and definitely number one for this show. Anyway, I've said my piece. Let's move on to costumes. I adore Belle's Cogsworth outfit. I think it's sassy. It's a little slutty. Uh, And by the way, that is not a shame. That is a positive. And it's (laughs) totally inappropriate for the weather and context. 10 out of 10. Gets my vote, plus her little swishy side do. I would 100% wear that whole outfit. It was really cute. And my first thought actually was that she was wearing like, modified Rumpelstiltskin clothing from the Dark Castle and like made a cute little adventuring outfit out of them. Some of the pieces look like something he would have worn and I thought the same thing actually about Neil. I was like, oh, they're like, they're like using the Rumpelstiltskin's wardrobe to make cute little outfits for themselves. Yeah. I don't know why that's where my, my brain went, but that's where it went. <laughs> I also think Storybrooke Robin Hood looks pretty damn dashing in his attire. Yeah, I think they do quite well with modern wear. Mm-hmm. Like it's a very modern wear, but it looks still very like like a dashing rogue in the forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only thing I have written down for costumes in my notes is Selena spends this whole episode looking like if Mary Poppins was goth and stupid. So I guess that's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time to play Who's That Guest Star? In season three, episode 15, we have, I wanted to say his name was Henri, but he is not French. He is Henry, Henry Lubati. As so he's Lumiere. a fake Frenchman. He's a fake Frenchman. Henry Lubati as Lumiere. Lubati is a character actor with a knack for accents. His work spans 25 years with credits on shows such as The X-Files, Sleeper Cell, Felicity, Grimm, True Blood, and supernatural take a shot (laughs) all right so they're really making it easy on me which they better do because they hurt me this episode very badly Mm -hmm. Um, so once again the flashbacks in this episode follow shortly after or maybe around the same time as the one seen in our last episode season three episode 14 the tower and then the scene we've seen that takes place the most immediately after this one is when Killian shows up on Emma's doorstep at the end of season three, episode 11, Going Home. 
rants and raves. Elise is going to cover the rant I had in really big detail, so <laughs> I'm going to just let her do that. So uh, I read a book. I read lots of books. <laughs> <laughs> One of the ones I finished most recently was really good. It was um, a Southern Gothic called Wake the Bones, and it was a great read for spooky season. The central couple is straight, but not obnoxious. And the secondary couple is queer and very good. And the female lead in general is lovely and tough as nails. And I'd like to be her when I grow up. We also went to Seaside Oddities Expo, which was a cute Halloween-y, spooky, curio-type show. And I got a Baba Yaga handmade house, and it is so cute. And little dangly earrings with jars with tiny fake bones in them that I'm going to wear the next time I cosplay Harrowhark. It was really fun, and I hope they do it again next year. Yeah, it was fun. I've been having kind of a shit week due to the fact that my refrigerator is possessed by Zul, gatekeeper to Gozer the Destructor, (laughs) and keeps making noises not unlike the shrieking eels, turning me into the woman in the yellow wallpaper. I don't know how many more metaphors I can fit into <laughs> a lot of there, that a lot in there. one that was, sentence. That was <laughs> a fair I, amount for one sentence. <laughs> yeah, I figured, at, you know, I would cover all my bases, you know, so people understood the screeching I'm living with. On the plus side, I got my McBoo pail from McDonald's. So there is that. So my rant is what I literally thought was going to be my rave this week because last Friday we saw the revival tour of Oklahoma. All right, I'm uh, hold on. I got to I got to lean back for this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah buckle, I, I buckle up everyone. You this is a long one. I pre-wrote my rant so I could keep it on topic and as speed runny as as possible. I apologize in advance. Spoilers coming up for Daniel Fish's 2019 Oklahoma revival. Last Friday, we saw the revival tour of Oklahoma, and the cast was really good. But the direction was grim, dark, bleak. And the more and the more I thought about it, the more I disliked it, which was sad because I was so excited. And the cast was good. They were so good. But this reimagining took it in such a different direction with these really muddled messages and like I even heard the venue like sent out a notice beforehand that was just like this is a reimagining and the costumes are modern with a diverse cast and I'm like okay kind of weird they need a warning for that but they also don't cover what you actually needed a warning for because they're like it's spoilers that there's a twist and it's it's the dark as hell ending and I've Never really experienced the lack of a standing ovation before, but it was just a sea of shell-shocked audience members. I just, the director and and the choices that he made, it, it just felt so full of contempt for the source material. And like, he twisted the story to make Judd, who for all extents and purposes, is the villain of of the story, of the musical, to be the object of the audience's sympathy. And had Lori, like, actually string him along in this version and, like, appear to really be into him up to the end? And, like, have it so it's, like, it's Lori's fault that Judd wanted her, which is so weird and victim-blamey. And at the end, he literally has 
Curly just like straight up just coldly shoot Judd after Judd just like shows up and has like this like in this version it's actually a consensual like lingering kiss with Lori and just like basically silently begs Curly to shoot him and he does and there's blood everywhere it just felt like this weird display of the director self inserting himself into the story as Judd who is usually the villain but instead of this version he's just like this voyeuristic incel white man who was led on by Lori and then killed by you know the the Chad the jock Curly right and the whole town heartlessly covers it up and I hated that I don't understand and they still there is there's an assault scene he assaults Lori like in the original story he he does still try to kill Curly at one point earlier in it so they still had Judd be a terrible person just like not at the very end and have him be the victim not Lori who in the source material like Judd has like basically stalked and assaulted and he's tried to kill Curly like multiple times in the original and like I felt so tricked because I wanted to like it so bad and the 2019 revival soundtrack I love it. I've listened to it for years. It doesn't really hint that there's this weird direction that it takes it in at all. So here I am looking forward to something I thought would be amazing because like, hell yeah, Oklahoma with a diverse cast. This is going to be amazing. And instead I watched something that just felt full of disdain for the source material. And I've done a lot of reading, like a lot of reading, reading different people's think pieces on it interviews with the people who made it and from what I can tell like apparently the main messages they're going for is gun violence the treatment of outsiders and one man making a whole town directly involved and responsible for ending his life and all those messages are extremely muddled in the actual show and don't get me wrong the cast was very talented they were amazing performers. Like, like they performed, like the songs were beautiful. The musicians on stage were amazing. And I loved like the retooling of the score. The lone dancer was very talented, even though the modern dance dream ballet was in a void. <laughs> it involved a lot of butt scooching <laughs> and a shirt that says dream baby dream and like voyeuristic night vision camera. <laughs> but she, the dancer was very good despite that. And the cast was only really allowed to act while singing. Like a huge chunk of the show was actors sitting far away from each other, reading lifelessly. And and they're <sighs> when we got home from the play at the end of the night, like a few hours later, I said to Lynn, the production made me feel like I was in a teen movie and the popular kids invited me to a party and I arrive and I'm having fun. And then someone drops dog food on me and like calls me a pussy for liking musical theater. And the whole reason they invited me was a trick to be mean and tell me that the musical theater genre is bullshit. And I should be ridiculed for not liking high art. <laughs> and like since then, like Lynn and me had this like long, like like couple hour conversation about it. And she had a lot of amazing observations about it as well. And I know the fact that we've talked about it for hours, but obviously it was intended by the director but regardless the more I talked about it the more I did not like it I wanted to it was in Oklahoma and I felt bad because that cast was really good and if it's not obvious already I have a huge soft spot for Oklahoma 
I really do love this musical and Rodgers and Hammerstein's musicals in general. And I can absolutely acknowledge the issues with Roger and Hammerstein's work. There's things, there's issues across the board in different shows, very much a product of their time. But I can acknowledge those while still enjoying it. And this would have been great if this production like had kind of fixed some of those issues, but it didn't fix anything. It made everything so much worse which I'm assuming was the point, but it was just the messages were muddled and everything felt icky and I just felt made fun of for liking the source material. You know, I I do have to say, like, I hate it when, like, creators shit on source material and and then act like their shit don't stink, especially, Mm -hmm. like, like, this whole thing about, like, high art because... Art is always subjective and the art world in general is like riddled with classism, sexism, racism, all the isms, all the bad isms. And I hate it when like some artist comes out and like thinks that they're making this really like highbrow commentary um, against all those things when they're actually just like part of the same machine. And that's exactly what this sounds like. Yeah, it 100% was. And plus, Elisa read to me a lot of the things that she went on a research about. And what's his fuck fish? Daniel Fish, if that even really is your name. <laughs> like, freely admitted that he, like, didn't know shit about Oklahoma beforehand. Mm. So he didn't even understand the source material, but then was like, you don't get the source material. Only I get it, and you're ignorant. And so it's like, okay. Because all I see in this is you being like, this is me getting back at every girl who said they wanted a nice guy and rejected me who is a nice guy. And she instead went with a Chad. Yeah. That's yeah. like, that's, that's what you boiled this down to, which is not what Oklahoma is supposed to be about at all. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's what I, I have. <laughs> I had a really funny um, realization when Lynn and me were talking about the play earlier. Which I was just like, if if you want to play where you're supposed to feel sympathetic for a love interest who has been stalking the main love interest and is a murderer, that's Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Oklahoma. And that's he ultimately just, lets just her go. Running for years. Yeah. Yeah, he lets her go. The Phantom's a better person than Judd. Because he at least has the, oh, maybe I did do bad realization <laughs> maybe, at the end. Maybe I am the asshole. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> am I the asshole? Wait. Am I the asshole? <laughs> he at least he at least has some semblance of self-awareness by the end of the play. Yeah. Also, I think Eric does have self-awareness. I just don't think he gives a shit. No. <laughs> He's like, I'm too much of a genius to give a shit. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I just meant more about like, you know, his murderous tendencies. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant. Oh, you no, know. for sure. But, you know, he is a poor, unfortunate soul, of course. So it justifies the beats. <laughs> it justifies the <laughs> exactly. Man, I'm really sorry, listeners, about my uh, my very long rant. I well, hope it was you, kind of interesting. I hope you I might s- have saved some of the money, honestly. Yeah, yeah. truly. <laughs> it's just, I've seen reviews where people have liked it. I've seen a, a couple comments where people have liked it. But most, most people are wrong. I wanted to like it. And it was it's hard to see something where you're like, well, the performers are really good, but I just hated I hated the direction I hated it so here's Um, the thing and I'm not gonna tread on Elisa's thing but since I also do experience this shit show here's what I'm gonna add to it don't go see it don't do it if you have tickets sell your tickets watch the Hugh Jackman version instead it is perfect I love the Hugh Jackman version 
so good. Is perfect. It is everything it should be, not this filth. And it's from, I think it's from 1999. So it is young Hugh Jackman. So he is a little cutie patootie. Definitely recommended it. It's a really fun watch. Like at this point, like they've pretty much taken it off streaming, but you can get it on Blu-ray and that's still cheaper than paying to see this shit show in theaters. So, which I mean, support the arts, but don't support this one. (laughs) (laughs) Go see Christ, literally anything else playing on live theater right now. Yeah. I don't care what you go see. Just don't go see the Oklahoma revival. Go see Hades Town. It's so good. Go see Hades Town. It's perfect. I was just like, I could have seen Hades Town a fourth time this Christ, oh my God. Right? Uh, we would have been happy. We would have been so happy. <laughs> God, Hades Town is so good. See Hades Town. See Hades Town. I want to go see Hades Town again. Me I want to see the new Persephone. She looks amazing. <gasps> she does. Ugh. I want to go see the Lion King again. I I have never seen The Lion King. Oh, it's really good. So good. It's coming to the Pantages, right? Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to get tickets for that. And I really want someone to get me tickets. Someone meaning like my family or something. I'm going to ask for tickets to Beetlejuice because it's playing like around my birthday next year. Nice. I really want to see Beetlejuice too. I super want to see Beetlejuice. Yeah. We should all go. Yeah. I mean, I'm down. I'm down. Wear my cute little barber dress I got. Oh, adorable. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. With Rumpelstiltskin as her slave, Selena challenges Regina to a fight to the death and Storybrooke lays Neil to rest. Meanwhile, back in the past in the land of Oz, a jealous Selena asks the wizard to send her to fairytale land after discovering she has a sister and that Rumpelstiltskin is training her to become a powerful force to be reckoned with. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, there were no morals in this episode, only crimes. Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Tweet us at once upon rewatch. Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at once upon rewatch. Follow us at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for our podcast was by Lychee Ruru. We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairytale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Before Hem, before Hema. Oh my God, <laughs> Emma, Emma. <laughs> be friends with Harney. <laughs> You're gonna be dentists. <laughs>